Tonight is Psalm 55. If you want to take your Bible and open to Psalm 55, we're working our way through the book of 2 Samuel. We found ourselves, I believe, in chapter 16 and 17. And it's the, the lengthy section of 2 Samuel where Absalom betrays David, uh, who's his father. This is one of the biggest sections uh, of 2 Samuel, obviously a, a terrible experience in David's life, uh, brought about as a consequence for his sin. Psalm 55 is a prayer where David has been betrayed, a prayer where David has been betrayed. While you're, there, you're turning there, let me ask you, um, is, is there anyone in here who, in church or in your church experience at some time, regularly sang And Can It Be? Is that a song that you regularly sang ever? Not for me. Not for me. Okay. So is, 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 the, is there anybody who's... Um, have you ever sung that song before in church? Have you ever sung that song? Yeah, and can it be? Not, not, not silver and gold. Not G, I'd rather have Jesus. And can it be? I'm, I'm, I have here, we've done it at least one other time. So a, a lot of powerful words uh, in that hymn. Psalm 55. Charles Wesley, I said John Wesley's brother, uh, wrote, And can it be? Commend it for your consideration. Psalm 55. You read the whole psalm and then we'll work our way through it. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a masculine of David. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan. Because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, they drop trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness, say La. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls, and iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst, oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace, for it is not an enemy who taunts me. Then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me. Then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Then God's house we walked in the throng. Let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive. For evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. But I call to God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them. He who is enthroned from of old, Selah, because they do not change and do not fear God. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. 
His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days. But I will trust in you. Well, this is a psalm that the specific context is not detailed. So of the psalms, um, ten of them carry an inscription at the beginning that gives you their context. Ten of them have essentially a description of what was going on that, that, that gave rise or gave birth to the psalm. Eight of those ten appear between Psalm 51 and 63. So this is that section. This is a, a section where, where you have several psalms from David's suffering where David describes the events surrounding his distress. Now this one doesn't have a specific instance like that, but it, given in, that it's in this section, there's good reason to believe that, that this comes from the same context as, as some of these other psalms relating to the treachery or betrayal of Absalom. And, and more specifically here, one of the things we learn in, in 2 Samuel 16 and 7, or 15, 16, and 17 is that one of David's closest advisors, one of his closest friends, a man named Ahithophel, had betrayed him. I think there's a lot of evidence to suggest that this psalm was written in that context, but we don't know ultimately. And regardless, even if it's not, it applies. Because here we find David betrayed by a friend, which is what we're going to talk about tonight, how we handle betrayal. Human relationships are challenging, aren't they? They're difficult. And oftentimes, in the course of our human life, we will be betrayed. And sometimes we'll be betrayed, sadly, by someone who is close to us. One of the things about David, the author here, is he was no stranger to affliction, as you know. And that's another thing that characterizes this section of Psalms. 52 to 59 are about David's personal afflictions, usually because of an enemy. So that's something that the, the Psalms, oftentimes, you find them arranged uh, essentially with, with categories. And, and 52 to 59 carry this theme of David's affliction as caused by an enemy. And in this case, it's, it's, a, it's a friend. 52, 53, I'm sorry, 52, maybe 54, 55 in there. Let me check my notes. I'm sorry. <laughs> I want to get this right. 52, 54, and 55 deal with betrayal. 52, 54, 55 deal with betrayal. This is a good section for you to go to, to deal with the betrayals in our life and see how David, under the inspiration of God's Spirit, dealt with that degree of difficulty in life. It's a song for the betrayed. So notice it's, it's for the choir master with stringed instruments, a masculine of David, a masculine of some kind of a musical composition here. And obviously there's words to it. This is a song. So this is a song about betrayal. In fact, a better title would be another song about betrayal. Because again, 52 and 54 are also about the theme of being betrayed, being surrounded by enemies. I think there's great help to be found here and great encouragement. So I'm just going to give you some basic headings and, and work our way through it. First of all, is, is obviously we pray when we're betrayed. 
We pray when we're betrayed, which is one of the great lessons we learn from David. He is a man of prayer. Picking up in verse 1, give ear to my prayer. Oh, God, interesting, isn't it? It's a song, but it's a prayer. It's a prayer that is sung by God's people, composed by David in light of his difficult, distressing, very specific circumstances. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. So look at what David prays for. Right at the outset, he prays for mercy. David understands this is what he needs from God. He needs mercy from God. And and you're going to find this over and over again in David's prayers. One of the things he teaches us about God is you appeal to God for mercy. You look to God for mercy. And God is generous in giving mercy. God is good. He is generous. This is how Psalm 51 begins, a psalm that applies to all of us because we're all sinners. It's David's prayer, David's prayer as a believer, his prayer of repentance. How does a a believer, a follower of God, repent when we've sinned? Psalm 51 is a lengthy explanation of that, and it begins, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. It's a prayer, it's an appeal to mercy. And he recognizes in this betrayal, he needs mercy from God. Verse 2, attend to me and answer me. I'm restless in my complaint and I moan. He's asking for God's intervention. God, do something about this. Answer me. Notice I'm restless. There's times when David is, in our words, anxious seemingly. Seemingly he doesn't know what to do. Actually, he does know what to do. He prays. You know, when we don't know what to do, we do know what to do. We pray. We call out to God. And notice he calls it a complaint. This is a fairly common word in the Psalms to refer to prayer. That we bring our complaints to God. Life is challenging, full of pain. Here's an expression of that. Where we express the difficulties that are going on that we're going to see in this Psalm. He calls it a complaint. I moan. The word moan is the word roar. It's the word roar. So this is a distressing Bitter of soul experience when he's betrayed. And he takes it to God in prayer. Look at the specific reasons why. Beginning in verse 3, it begins general and it's going to become more specific as we work through. Because of the noise of the enemy. Because of the oppression of the wicked. For they to drop trouble upon me. And in anger they bear a grudge against me. Remember the, the, the member of Saul's house when David is fleeing from Jerusalem. Throwing rocks at the king. It's a grudge holder against David. There is this general tendency in the heart of most of us, especially leaders. You want to please the people you serve. And here's people surrounding David who are his enemies. And keep in mind, when he says it, very likely he's talking about the people of God in this case. Some of the Psalms he's talking about like the Philistines. In this case, it seems like he's talking about the people of God who are following a betrayer. They drop trouble upon me. In anger, they bear a grudge against me. We pray for God's help. Let me remind you of Psalm 109, just because I I think it's so encouraging to see see this response. Because essentially, I think one of the things we need to train ourselves as faithful followers of Jesus Christ is our knee-jerk reaction to distress needs to be prayer. Which for many of us, for me, it's not. I need to train myself by the word of God, by discipline, by the help of others, through prayer. The, the, my knee-jerk reaction when I face distress, I mean, and this is bitter distress, one of the worst varieties of distress to be betrayed by a close friend. 
pray. Look at what David says in Psalm 109. To the choir master Psalm of David, Be not silent, O God, of my praise, for wicked and deceitful mouths are opened against me, speaking against me with lying tongues. They encircle me with words of hate. They attack me without cause. In return for my love, they accuse me. But I give myself to prayer. There's the picture of a faithful man of God who's distressed, yes, as part of living in this world. How do you respond to that? I give myself to prayer. We pray when we are betrayed. Secondly, verses 4 to 7, we recount the effects of betrayal. This is what he does. He, he goes through the details, as we're going to see throughout this psalm. He recounts the effects of the betrayal. And it's essentially his pain. He pleads his pain. Life is attended by pain, isn't it? What do you do with that? Look what David does with it in his prayer, in his song. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me and horror overwhelms me. To me, this is profoundly encouraging because this is the, this is the man who, who, who slew Goliath. This is the man who's led hundreds into battle and been victorious over and over again on the battlefield. David is an, David is an absolute winner. He's a victor when he goes to battle. He's a warrior. He's essentially what I would imagine is an absolute man's man. You think like true grit. David is true grit times a hundred. I mean, he's so gritty, he's scary. But this guy, the guy who struck down Goliath and who's shown himself courageous over and over again, describes the fear that overwhelms him. Even the most valorous have times of fear. Look what else he says. Verse 6. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Well, why the dove? Well, the dove is a peaceful bird. That's the idea. And you know something I learned about a dove, and you get more bird knowledge tonight. I, I think this is true. Um, so, so one of my favorite birds is the peregrine falcon. He's an amazing bird. He's the, 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 maybe the fastest creature on earth, at least one of the fastest creatures on earth. And, and the peregrine falcon loves to feed, to, to prey on, on doves. But I, I learned, which doesn't make sense to me, but it's evidently true, that the dove is one of the most hardest birds for a falcon to catch because he's so quick and maneuverable. And looking at him, he doesn't look that way. I actually watched a, a, a video on, on one of these science channels where they had a, a camera attached to a dove and it was studying like his flight patterns and why, the, why falcons and hawks have such a hard time getting them. Because of their maneuverable. And that, that's how David likens himself to, I just want to get away. The, the scripture of the Old Testament in Jeremiah talks about wanting to fly away and hide in a hole like a dove. Look what he goes on to say in verse 7. Yes, I would rather, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. The wilderness is a place of seclusion. Right? You ever just want to get out? Just go to the woods. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. You know what David's saying here? I just want to get away from this. I want to run. I want to be like a dove, a bird of peace that gets out of there. The reality is, Again, first and foremost, we see that even a, 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 a man of, that's demonstrated incredible courage and faithfulness, David, 
There are times when horror overwhelms him and he just wants to flee. He's got feet of clay just like all of us do. Secondly, from the Christian perspective, we feel like this sometimes. But escapism is just not an option for us. We can pray this and plead this and plead our pain to God. But for the faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ, running away is just not an option. We've got to deal with our sins and our problems and the consequences of our sins. We all have to do this. It's best to do it with prayer and with the help of God's people. We're stewards of the gospel. And you, and you have Christians all through our history, like early on the Desert Fathers, that there are some things that they wrote that were quite good, but they just wanted to get away from the world and go out in the desert and write. Well, my goodness, how do you proclaim the gospel and make disciples if that's how you spend your life? It'd be a little bit easier, though, wouldn't it? Don't have to deal with those people anymore. Or the monastic option for some. This is not an option for the Christian who's commissioned to make disciples of all nations, proclaim the gospel. But here you see that impulse in David, even though he's not going to follow through with it. This is how he feels, and he's telling God about it. He's honest with God about his pain. Now, this option, we see, didn't work well for Jonah, did it? He's one of the, the men in the Bible who, who sought to take this option. Hear a command from God, really hard to carry out, don't want to do it, I'm out of here. That did not work out so well for him. Even though we feel like this, even though David feels like this, again, which is, a, I think, a great encouragement, it's simply not a real option for us. I love the example of Nehemiah. <laughs> but people tried to manipulate Nehemiah in so many ways, and, and I just love him because he stands true to his task and his role and his purpose, regardless of, of the various manipulations that people try to use against him. Well, one of the times a, a person comes to him and, and tells him that he needs to run away because, you know, there's all this danger coming. And Nehemiah's response is, should such a man as I run away? Enough said. Verses 9 through 11, we see a prayer for God's intervention. Prayer for God to be involved and do something. Verse 9, destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. God, here we see David concerned with what's going on in Jerusalem. We're going to see there's betrayal, there's iniquity, there's sin, there's oppression, there's fraud going on in the city. And essentially, David just asked God to deal with them in his way. Destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues. For I see violence and strife in the city. And of course, David's read the Old Testament. And David's read a chronicling of the history of God's people. Where when those among the people of God, like the sons of Korah, commit sin and atrocities, God deals with them. In that case, the earth swallows them up. Destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls, and iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. The marketplace is, is the place kind of like the gate where people would gather. I think this is one of those uh, essentially subtle evidences that this is in the context of Absalom's betrayal. This is how, this is how Absalom orchestrated his conspiracy. He slowly, over time, won over the hearts of the people. It was a fraud and conspiracy. And what does David do? He prays for God's intervention. Here's a quote from William Plummer. 
the most powerful weapon ever used in the world against cruel and unreasonable men is prayer. That's a powerful weapon. Well, I love the example of Moses. You read the, the account in the wilderness, this just incredibly difficult time where Moses is, is leading people who don't listen to God, don't listen to him. And there's, there's multiple occasions where the people want to kill Moses or want to, or want to um, replace Moses. And one of the things that's consistent, and you'll see it several times uh, in that account of Moses, is when the people come up with him, essentially there's a mob that shows up and they want to kill Moses. You know what he does? He's on his face before God in prayer. Oftentimes praying for them. Asking God's mercy upon them. Over and over again, you'll see this as a consistent way that David deals with his, or I'm sorry, Moses deals with his afflictions. Serious afflictions. A mob is out there to kill me. They want to replace me. They want to kill me. He's on his face before God, praying. Oftentimes, for them. David, too, is a man like that. When he's assailed by affliction, he prays for God's intervention. He needs God's help, and he knows it. He then goes into the details of the betrayal in verses 12 to 15. This is, this is one of the things we can learn from David, that we need to recount the details of what's going on in our life. So one of the, this is, one of, I think, one of the things we learn about prayer in the Scripture, where one of the ways prayer helps us. Keeping that pain inside of us is, is not good for the soul, but rather voicing it to God, as we're going to see in a moment, unloading those burdens on God. Voicing the distress to God helps us, helps us. If you just internalize it and keep it inside you and meditate on the evil ways people have treated you, that just often turns to bitterness. It's not, it's not good for our souls. But what you can do in prayer and through prayer, just recount it to God. Here's what he did, God. Here's what they did, Lord. Here it is. That's what you see David doing here and in many other places. Look, look at the details here, beginning in verse 12. For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. And it's not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him. Notice how, notice how David is um, elevating the suspense. Here's some literary genius at work for the glory of God under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. It's amazing. Verse 13. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. Essentially, from what we know about David, there's no one in the context of, of Saul chasing after David that David would re refer to like that. But it sure fits Ahithophel. Familiar friend. Verse 14, we used to take sweet counsel together. That's who Ahithophel was. He was David's counselor. Within God's house, we walked in the throng. So we worshiped together. We did work together. He recounts this betrayal to God. And you can just feel the pain in that. Think of the, think of the relational scars David is bearing. Before this, when David refers to a friend, his friend is Jonathan, who was a faithful friend. And Jonathan's been killed. David is a man who's gone through a lot of pain. He bears a lot of Scars. And relational scars are the hardest, aren't they? Especially given by those who are close to us. And even more especially if it's betrayal. Verse 15. 
Let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive, for evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. Pretty strong, isn't it? Praying for God's justice upon them because of their sin. And this idea of let them go down to Sheol alive, possibly, is a reference to that rebellion of Korah. Maybe. But the reason is because of evil in their dwelling place. I think you have to be careful praying prayers like this. We see the emotion and the experience that brought this out in David. And in this case, when David prays this, he prays it because they're evil. It's not only about the fact that David's been betrayed. David can locate the reason for his betrayal in the fact that they are evil. And what they've done is clearly wrong. And thus he prays a prayer like this. Then he goes on in verse 14, but I call to God. I call to God. Which uh, the, the last part, well, not really the last part. That's kind of a preacher trick. Let's go verses 16 to 23, 16 to 22. It's kind of like you read the book of Philippians. Paul says, finally, a couple times, right? He's not really done. At least with a psalm, you know when you're getting close to the end. What I think we learn here in this section is what you learn again over and over again from David is to resolve to persevere in prayer. You pray and you keep praying. In light of this distress, being betrayed by this companion, this friend, this counselor, in the light of the fact that they're evil, but I call to God, just like Psalm 109. Surrounded by enemies, I call to God, and the Lord will save me. Expresses hope in the deliverance of God. I call to God, and the Lord will save me. Friends, you know that we have much greater assurance of being saved than David had. Because you have, much, you have a lot more truth than David had. Just look at 1 Thessalonians 5. Look at this amazing promise. Written to Christians, believers, not ignoring the stresses and difficulties of life. But listen to what Paul says about these believers. Uh-oh. I may not be able to find it now. Maybe 2 Thessalonians. Uh, this is not in my notes. This is one of those preacher moments I've found it. It's 1 Corinthians 5.23. So as a preacher, typically my methodology is when in doubt, don't. If, you, if you're doubtful about saying it, don't say it. There's a lot of other truth you could say. Tonight's one of those nights, hey, this is a good text to look at. The point here is, David in Psalm 55 is sure God is going to save him. As a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, based on the promises you have in the New Testament, you have much greater reason for assurance of salvation than David had. Look at what this text says, this prayer. Verse, this is 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's Paul's prayer for these Christians. And then look what he goes on to say. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. This prayer, this desire that you as the church, you Thessalonians in that case, God will sanctify you completely. You'll be kept blameless to the return of Jesus Christ. How's that going to happen? He's faithful to do it. 
That's, that's, that's why we know our salvation is secure and how we know we're going to persevere. It's not because I'm strong or I've got lots of years under my belt of the Christian faith. No, it's God. He's faithful. He'll do it. You see that kind of, you see that kind of spirit in David's prayer here? But I call to God and the Lord will save me. He knows God's deliverance is sure. But that doesn't keep him from praying, does it? Persevering in prayer. Verse 17, evening, morning, and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. What a great text about prayer. Evening, morning, and at noon. You know what that means. All the time. Pray without ceasing. He's got a lot of complaints. He keeps, he keeps bringing them to God. He keeps roaring to God about the distresses he's faced. And he has hope. He has faith. He hears my voice. Amazing, isn't it? The God you read about in the Bible who rules over all hears your voice. Verse 18. By the way, as a Christian, you have a lot more reason to have faith in the fact that he hears your voice than David did. It's not going to take time to chase that rabbit. You can find it in the book of Hebrews, though. Just don't look right now. Try to listen to the rest of the song. Verse 18, he resolves, I'm sorry, he redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. How's David going to survive these many that are arrayed against him? He redeems my soul in safety. His hope is in God. His faith is in God. Verse 19, God will give ear and humble them. He who is enthroned from of old, the real king, David recognizes who the real king is. He's going to humble them. They're exalted now. King's on the run. He's been betrayed. But God will deal with them. The one who's been enthroned from of old. I mean, David's a relatively new king. Kingship and monarchy is new in Israel, not for God. God's enthroned from of old. And that's where David's hope and faith is found. Because, and, and look at the reason why. Again, back to their responsibility. They're evil. Because they do not change. They do not fear God. As evidenced in their actions and their sinfulness. Against God's king in this case. Verse 20. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. More details about this betrayer. Stretched out his hand against his friends. I mean, it doesn't get much worse than that, does it? It's a terrible thing. He violated his covenant. I don't know what what that means. We see the making of covenants with other people was a practice. I believe David made a covenant with Jonathan. So this is something people who trusted one another, who cared for one another in the Old Testament did. By the way, marriage is a covenant. And you also have friends and essentially what we would think of as co-workers. At points in the Old Testament, they make covenants together. Evidently, this, that just strengthens the bond of the, the relationship and the promise and the commitment to one another. This person, as David prays, has violated that. Look how he describes him. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. It's like a hypocrite. It's like a, a duplicitous person. A person who says one thing, but in their heart there's something else, right? Says nice things, but in their heart they want to kill you. There's war, even though the tongue is smooth. His words were softer than oil, yet they're drawn swords. Like, I mean, you pour out some olive oil on your arm, it's not going to hurt you. It's what it seemed like, but it was really a sword, which would wound and pierce and damage and harm. In the midst of it all, David is 
trusting. Look what he says in verse 22. Here's a great instructive passage for us about prayer, especially when betrayed. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. What do, you, what do we do with our burdens? There's lots of burdens in this life. What do you do with them? David's advice, a man of many burdens himself, cast it on God. You don't want to bear it yourself. We're not strong enough to do that. Again, you try to bear the burdens, especially of things like betrayal, you're probably just going to get bitter and angry and hateful. My theory for a lot of people, you know, a lot of people sadly become bitter and angry as they get older. I think that happens because of the nature of this world. This world is evil. And people live in this world for longer. They go through difficulty and difficulty, and it just, it just wears on you. You are a lot of pain. And David's going through a lot of pain here, and he says, cast your burden on the Lord. If there's burdens tonight that you have, you should cast them on God. Let him carry them. You trust him with them. Always have anxieties and difficulties and distresses. You need to take those to God. Put them on him. And notice what it says. He will sustain you. He's our sustainer. He's our strengthener. He's our help. He will not permit the righteous to be moved. The idea of, of being moved there uh, is the idea of uh, essentially, it's probably a, a combat warfare type phrase of essentially losing a battle. Casting your burdens on God, looking to him to sustain you, he's going to support you. Verse 23, two final points from verse 23 that I think are, are again, just you find them all through the Psalms. First of all, in, in prayer, in, in this resolve to continue praying and casting our burdens on God, there's a hope in future vindication. Verse 23, but you, O God, will cast them down. And we've seen this a few times in this prayer in Psalm 55. But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days. God is going to deal with them. God is going to vindicate David. God is going to deal with people, sinners, in his own way and in his time. There is coming a day of judgment. And for the righteous, there's coming a day of vindication. This is one of the, this is one of the, the themes of the book of Revelation. There's coming a reckoning. And the righteous, those who are God's people, though we suffer and though we struggle in this life and in this world, there's coming vindication. And that vindication ultimately is going to come at the return of Jesus Christ. Not only is there hope in future vindication, that the triumphs of the wicked will be short-lived. And they will be. I mean, even if they're 80 years old, even if they're 80, an 80-year triumph of the wicked, it's going to come to an end. Look at the last sentence. But I will trust in you. You see all these contrasts? Even though there's all this stuff going on, even though I'm surrounded by evil people, I will trust in you. Notice their faith is a resolve. David, the betrayed man, Resolves, I will faith. I will have. Tr- I will trust in you, which I think is is one thing we need to keep reaffirming, especially in afflictions and difficulties. Remind ourselves what we believe and who we are, and what we're going to do. In fact, one of the things you see in the Psalms is you find the psalmist telling himself what he's going to do. I'm going to be faithful. I can't control that. 
would never choose that. Don't want that. Don't like that. Take that to God. Put that burden on God. I'm going to be faithful. And you keep resolving to trust in God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Which is the, the exact opposite of our natural proclivity. It's Proverbs 3, 5. I want to try to figure this thing out. I want to base what I'm going to do on my own understanding. When the proverb says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, in everything you do, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. We look to God, we defer to God, we base our path on what God says. And I don't understand all the details, but I'm going to trust in him. And it's a resolve. It's not a, well, you know, if such, if, you know, this bargaining with God. Well, God, if you do this, then I'll do this. No, this faith is, I'm going to trust in you despite all this stuff going on in my life. And in this case, it was betrayal. Got to be one of the hardest things in life to deal with. And it's a song to remind us of God. And of course, we know that our Lord Jesus Christ experienced the betrayal, didn't he? One of the closest men to Jesus Christ, Judas, betrayed him. Spent years with Jesus Christ, heard his teaching with the other followers in the inner circle. A betrayer. Jesus our Lord experienced that. And it was painful. In fact, didn't Jesus say it'd been better if he had not ever been born? I mean, it takes a lot of pain to say something like that about someone. Our Lord knows the pain of betrayal. He came and he suffered. He was tempted in all ways, like us, yet apart from sin. And he died on the cross for our sins. And he was raised from the dead so that we could have life. Isn't that amazing good news? Good news in a world full of pain relational pain like the pain of betrayal doesn't change the fact that Jesus died was raised again so friends let's resolve to have faith let's pray together God I do pray that this would encourage us in our prayers God to cast our burdens on you to cast our cares on you for you care for us thank you Lord for that thank you for your goodness Lord help us God to persevere in prayer to keep praying God to learn from your word how to pray, to bring the details of our affliction to you, Lord, the one who can truly help. God, we do pray you would help. But all of us in varying degrees in this room, even tonight, have afflictions. And God, we look to you for mercy. We know ultimately, God, that's our great need. We need mercy from you. So God, give us wisdom. Help us like David here at the conclusion to resolve to have faith. Despite even the bitter pain of betrayal. Let us, God, leave with a fresh heart that puts our burdens on you and says with David, I will trust in you. Help us to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, let's stand and sing together. We always urge you to believe the gospel to trust Jesus as Savior, to turn from sin which will ultimately destroy you, turn to Jesus who will forgive and bring you to God. That's the good news of the gospel, that sinners 
are saved through Christ. If you have questions about that, I'll be available afterwards if you want to talk more. But now let's sing and, and praise God that even though we're betrayed in this life, Jesus will never betray us. <laughs>